0: I've titled this morning's sermon, The World Is Not The Way It Should Be. And the verse that captures that the best from Ruth's reading for us is Matthew uh, 13, 27. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in our field? How come there's wheat? We're going to look at this parable and see if we can tease out some helps for us to live today. And we're also going to have a bit of a look at why Jesus spoke in parables. But before we dive into the word, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that we can come this morning, that we have someone to gather round who is true, noble and just, loving and kind. Father, we gather together to hear your words and to understand you more. But Lord, we ask you to help us to love Jesus more as we do that. We ask these things in his wonderful name. Amen. By gathering here this morning, by being God's people in Lindisfarne, we are demonstrating at least that we love Jesus. The Son of God who came down from heaven, the most winsome appealing attractive charming and i could go on person to ever walk the earth how could anyone not like jesus how could anyone not love jesus how could anybody oppose jesus yet that's exactly what's happening in as matthew relates to us in chapter 12 rather than receiving jesus call to repent and believe the good news like zacchaeus did rather than receiving jesus call to repentance and believing the good news the pharisees the sadducees the scribes the lawyers see his teachings as a wrecking ball ready to destroy their carefully constructed religion and the crowds for the most part love the signs, love the wonders, love their healings. But they don't love the teacher. They don't love the miracle worker. They don't love the healer. They don't love Jesus. Jesus has been teaching in the synagogues and talking to the religious leaders, doing signs and wonders and against ever-increasing hostility and disbelief the more jesus does the more jesus is hated when jesus healed the man with a withered hand in the synagogue on the sabbath we find this in matthew 12:14 but the pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill jesus for healing a man and when jesus cast out a demon matthew 12:24 but, then the Pharisee, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of the demons, that this fellow drives out demons. We want to kill Jesus because he's the son of Satan. The pressure is building on Jesus. They don't like him and they don't like his teachings. And as Matthew brings chapter 12 to a close, it finishes with a challenge. When Jesus replied to him, that's a man asked, when Jesus replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then Jesus answers his own question. For whoever does the will of my father, for in heaven is my brother, my sister and my mother. In other words, if you want to follow me, you must choose to do the will of my father. There is a decision to be made. Are you for Jesus or are you against him? Because the will of the Father is that you believe the Son. On the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew 17, 5, the God of the universe says, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Doing the will of the Father means at least listening to the words of the Son. How then is Jesus going to reach people who are so hostile and so indifferent, but at the same time, who so much need salvation? This is one of the reasons that Jesus chose to speak in parables. Jesus uses parables to hold the attention of his listeners. Jesus uses parables to intrigue his listeners. He's able to fascinate, but not alienate. However, by placing parables before us, Jesus is also laying down a challenge. And this is the challenge, which is found in the second part of verse 43. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is warning us there's much more going on here than you think. You see, Jesus is not just sitting in the sun by the side of a lake, spinning a good yarn. No, this is Jesus at the top of his game. The Son of Man is doing what he came for. And in Luke 19, we get Jesus' job description, if you want it to be a bit crass. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. By speaking in parables, Jesus is engaging, absolutely. However, Jesus is also challenging, challenging the crowds, challenging his disciples, challenging you and me. Are you listening? What do you hear when Jesus speaks? Do you have ears that can hear? Parables are not innocent little stories. The parables search you, the parables examine you, the parables expose the condition of your heart. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, We would say uh, about someone who was musical, they've got an ear for music, don't they? and there's a a few people amongst us, John, Brian and Kai's one, we would easily say they have an ear for music. But that ear for music, if you ask people who are musical, that ear for music didn't come overnight. I started singing in a choir in 2014, couldn't hold a note. But now I can hold up my end as a baritone in a choir. I've developed a music for, an ear for music. In the same way, are you listening to Jesus? Are you developing an ear for hearing our Lord? Or are you just hearing some mildly interesting story? Are you for Jesus or are you against Jesus? You must decide. Yes, parables are stories. They are designed to draw us in, but they also contain information. And the parable of the weeds and the wheats contains information about why the world is the way it why the world isn't the way it should be. It's a kingdom parable. Jesus is telling us something about his kingdom. So we must we should expect to learn something about how the kingdom of heaven operates in time and space today. And as we listen to and engage with Jesus on this parable, we will soon discover that this parable casts light on the world, from Genesis to Revelation. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. A farmer who wants to prosper is going to use good seeds. And the things with good seeds is, they expand, they grow, they increase. You start with a few, you end up with many. So the kingdom of heaven starts off showing great promise, a place where good seeds promise a good harvest. But, while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the field and went away. An enemy has come, threatening the success of the harvest. Okay, so far, so good. Uh, I trust that you find that interesting. Yeah, it's not a bad little yarn, is it? But it gets very serious here. Because at that time, it was a crime under Roman law to, th- to sow seeds, uh, weed, weeds, seeds, in someone else's field. And the people listening to Jesus would know that. It gets serious because this is an intersection between real life and the parable. And you're meant to start thinking, oh, who, who was it? Like, who was the farmer? Was it Fred? Was it Charlie? Who was the enemy? You know, I heard that Joe got busted for that a couple of years back. You're meant to ask who is the enemy. You're meant to ask what has a farmer got to do with the kingdom of heaven? Even this farmer, perhaps the man telling the story is the farmer. And perhaps maybe the man telling the story is Jesus, the Messiah. Can you see how the parable draws you in and then intersects with real life? to prompt you to listen to Jesus, to prompt you, to encourage you, even cajole you into asking, into seeking. And you can see this play out in Matthew 13, 36. After this parable and a couple of others, Jesus leaves the crowd, went back into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And the first thing I hope you will notice is that the disciples are asking. They're interested in the kingdom of heaven and want to know more about the kingdom of heaven. And another thing I hope you notice, which is very important, Jesus does not criticise their lack of understanding, but instead directly answers their question. Are you interested enough to ask? So the trouble in the field came from an enemy. Does that sound familiar? Genesis 1. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. But sadly, that's only the beginning of the story. Genesis 3, 1 and 2. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Sadly and tragically, we know the rest of the story. The fall, that original turning away from God, echoes and echoes and echoes down through history still echoes today, still reverberates today. There is still a God who does good, but there is still an enemy who does evil. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? Every time a baby dies, every time a bomb falls, Every time life is hurts you, whether you recognise it or not, you ask the same question that the servants asked. This is the question you ask in your heart in those painful, quiet hours when you can't sleep. Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? This question is on everyone's lips, on everyone's hearts because we know things should be better. We know things are crook in Tullamrook, and there's no work in Burke. Or in Shakespeare's immortal words, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. We know there should be something better. But how do I know that we know there's something better? It's because we strive. Ever thought about that? Why do we seek good? The world does strive to make peace out of war. That we really do strive to make our culture and our country better. For all the, spoken, all the words spoken at COP26, the world is striving to make the climate better. But why do we strive? What's our motivation? Well, you see, it's a fact of reality is you can only know something is unjust if you know there's such a thing as justice. You can only know hatred if you know there's such a thing as love. You can only know evil if you know there's such a thing as good. We know we are made for something better. Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then do we have weeds? And the master replied, an enemy did this. And the servants asked him, do you want us to pull him up? No, he replied, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Any farmer worth his salt wants the maximum return on his harvest. And it's no different with Jesus. Our Lord wants every seed that he planted ready at the harvest time. The apostle Paul writing to Titus said this of Jesus, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us all from lawlessness and to purify himself a people as his own possession. That's the harvest who are zealous for good works. That's the maturity. Growth, maturity, a good harvest, that's what Jesus is after. But what does that mean for us today? The very beginning of the minist- of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, Jesus said that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven grows when people repent and believe the good news. Like Zacchaeus, he repented and believed the good news and followed the Lord in a changed life. We need to understand this. We need to grasp that not all who will come into the kingdom have yet come into the kingdom. Perhaps not have all been born yet. Perhaps those who are alive now have yet to understand Jesus and come to him. They need time. There needs to be time for the weeds in the paddock to turn into wheat in the paddock. Uh, Me personally, I'm very glad the harvest hasn't come. I appreciate Jesus' patience because if God had have decided the harvest time was 21st of October 1952, any time before 2am in the morning, I wouldn't be here. And if the harvest had have occurred before the beginning of 2005, I would be in hell now because I had not repented and believed the good news. And I'm sure all of you can think of times and dates where if Jesus had returned, you would not be ready either. This little story about weeds and wheat and fields places before us one of the greatest realities of the kingdom of heaven. God is patient. In Ezekiel, God said to Ezekiel, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die? So, if God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked and is waiting for them to change their ways, then surely there's a very real call on us as well to be patient, to be persevering. We are called to be patient and to, to, and to patience and perseverance. But why? Why are we called to be patient and perseverance? Why? For the shake of the harvest, that's why. That's why this time that seems so long, this days we're living in now, that seems so terrible, that is such a diabolical mixture of good and evil, of wheat and weeds. That's why this time is still upon us. The Lord's brother Jude has some advice for us how to live in these times while the weeds need time to turn into wheat. Keep yourselves in the love of God while you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. You see, we wait for the sake of our brothers and sisters who are yet to come into the kingdom. However, while we are waiting, while we are being patient, we don't preserve hopelessly. Our life is not without hope because Jesus has told us the end of the story. Matthew 13:30. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles and then gather the wheat and bring into my barn. The actions of the enemy, the enemy himself, and all those who would follow the enemy will be overcome. Jesus states very clearly what this will look like when he explained to his disciples the meaning of the parables of the weed. And in Jesus' own words in Matthew uh, 13, 41 and 43, the son of man, and Jesus is talking about harvest time, The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and who do evil. They will throw them into the burning furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And thus the harvest is complete. As I said, this parable has echoes of Genesis, echoes of the world we live in, and echoes of the end times. So let us finish this exploration of the parable in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven out from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We've seen this morning that Jesus speaks in parables because people are indifferent and hostile, yet they must hear the good news so they can repent and come into the kingdom. We've also seen the reason why the world is not the way it should be. The kingdom of heaven is coming, but the enemies are still active. So what do we want to do with that information? Firstly, we must continue to be hearers of God's word. As I alluded to before, you can learn and train your ear to the pitch of music. Just the same, you must train your ear to the pitch of Jesus' voice. And the Christian life isn't very complicated. Confess your sins, study the Bible, fellowship together. We have a number of people in this parish uh, who are more enough more skilled than necessary to teach and to pass on God's words. To be a disciple of Jesus clearly means asking Jesus to explain what he's saying. And as I said, look, Chris is well trained. There's other people here who have worked with the Lord a long time. Ask them if you feel like your ears are going dull. And secondly, the triumph of the kingdom of heaven over evil is certain. In a, in a world that's gone absolutely mad, can I encourage you not to fall into fear and distress? We hear so, there's so much going on around us. We, we have access to so much information all the time that it is overwhelming. I'm not saying don't be interested. I'm not saying don't be committed to a cause. But I am saying there is no cause for fear. There's no cause for despair. Amen. Father, as I just said, there's no cause for despair in in this world we're in. That's still a big ask, Lord. And as we sit here and as we leave today, Father, I pray that you would remind us that when things are tough Jesus has overcome everything and in the end the harvest will come into his barn. Amen.